Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to worship here at Central today. We are studying Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we come to, to uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 this morning, and it may feel a little like last week's passage, a defensive travelogue. It's Paul's account of where he went and when and why and with whom he traveled and what they said. But what Paul zeroes in on here this morning is the movement of the Holy Spirit of God to save all different kinds of people. Paul says that God was moving in the Gentiles and God was moving among the Jews. He sent Peter to preach to the Jews and he called Paul to proclaim to the Gentiles. He was the ultimate insider. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of Jews, a a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was an insider, and yet God sent him to preach to outsiders that same gospel message. When Paul arrived in Jerusalem and met with the other apostles, they discerned that they were preaching the same message, that same gospel from from that same Spirit of God to two completely different audiences. They had an unchanging gospel message that saves and serves all different kinds of people and brings us into the family of God. How does he do that? Well, let's pray as we turn our attention to God's word. Father, please send your spirit and open our eyes that we might behold what you have for us this morning and change us to be more like Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Galatians 2, beginning in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may have heard the name A.W. Tozer before. He was a writer and and a, a minister in the first half of the 20th century. And Tozer wrote a book entitled The Pursuit of God. It's a wonderful, wonderful book that I would commend to all of you. In it, he wrote this. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord 
by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Isn't that interesting? Tozer says that the closer we draw to the Lord, then the closer we will draw to one another as his people because we are tuned to the same fork, as it were, to the Lord's presence. I wonder if I asked you this morning, according to what is your life being formed? What's your tuning fork? What influences in your life that, that is shaping you into whom you are becoming and how you live? We're bound together as God's people because we are formed according to that same tuning fork of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet in our culture, there are uh, any number of things around which people might rally. We form an identity around common cultural preferences. Even in churches are uh, segregated around worship practices or ethnic identity or socioeconomic levels or political commitments. We have to realize that our culture all around us, including the news channels that we, that we take in and the media that we absorb, they're all desperately trying to shape us, to form us into their image. But the truth is that something much larger, something more cosmic, something more powerful unites us as Christians. And it's the redemptive work of Jesus. As God's people, we are primarily tuned according to the gospel of God's grace. And that grace changes everything. Now, in what ways does Paul lay out that that gospel shapes us and forms us and tunes us in this passage? Well, the first way we see is that the gospel forms us in freedom. If you look down at verse 1, Paul says that he and Barnabas and Titus went to the church in Jerusalem. Now, there are several different uh, visits to the Jerusalem churches recorded in the book of Acts, and this one seems to be the visit from Acts chapter 11, when Paul and Barnabas and Titus came from uh, Antioch to deliver famine relief to the churches in Jerusalem. And the way Paul talks about when they arrived, there were some serious issues. He went and had conversations with the apostles there, and in verse 2 says that they were to assure that they were preaching the same gospel message, that what Paul was teaching the Gentiles was exactly the same as what Peter was teaching to the Jews. Now, it matters if you remember, because we saw last week that those Judaizing teachers came into Galatia to say, Paul isn't preaching the same thing. He's not preaching the same gospel that the apostles in Jerusalem are, are teaching. In particular, Paul, uh, the, the Judaizers said that you need to believe in Jesus and become Jewish. You need to believe in Christ as Messiah and, and functionally become Jewish. You must be circumcised. In fact, putting it very plainly in Acts 15 verse 1, this same group said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That was a big deal. It was a huge deal. They were teaching that unless these non-Jews, these Gentiles, these Greeks like Timothy, whom Paul brought with him, unless they became Jewish and got circumcised as Jews do, then they would be cut off from Jesus, cut off from the Savior. And Paul says to the apostles, are we preaching the same gospel? Because I say no to that. 
And the apostles say, absolutely, the same gospel. No, they do not have to become Jewish. Even Titus, who was there with them, didn't have to become circumcised. And yet these Judaizing teachers persisted in that error. They persisted in teaching heresy. They functionally were saying, we're bringing believers into slavery. That's what Paul calls it in verse 5. It's contrasted with the freedom that we have in Christ. But what's the big deal? What's the big deal about whether they were circumcised or not? Why does, it, why does it really matter? And why would Paul make such a fuss about it? Well, circumcision appears in Genesis chapter 17. And it was a sign of God's promise. It was the sign of his promise, his covenant, a bond in blood with his people. Specifically, it was a promise that said, take this mark upon your body that proclaims that through the shedding of blood, our God will remove our sin. Through the shedding of blood, we are cleansed from all of our sin. And for anyone who believes that promise, Genesis 17 says, for all the nations, for all kinds of sinners, you are brought into the family of God. And circumcision was that sign. That sign of the promise that God would make us his own. We could belong to God through the shedding of the Messiah's blood, through Jesus who came. But these Judaizers, those who slipped in to spy out freedom, Paul says in verse 4, it's, it's military terminology for intelligence gathering and being traitors. So they, they slipped in to spy out the freedom that we have in Christ, and they wanted to pervert that sign. Instead of it being a sign of God's promise, they instead made it about their performance. They made the sign of promise into some badge of honor that says, look at all that I've performed. Look at the religious duties, the rituals that I've upheld, and therefore I'm right before God. I belong before God because I've participated in this ritual. And you Gentiles, you aren't right before God because you haven't been circumcised. They made it less about what Christ would do and his righteousness given to his people and instead about all that I do in order to be saved. They majored on the importance of my religious observance. That's what makes me right in God's eyes. And Paul says, and the apostles in Jerusalem say no, because they perverted that sign of God's promise into a mark of performance. Think about circumcision like this. Just uh, after Christmas, uh, Missy and our whole family, we went to Disney World, and it was, it was an amazing uh, trip. Uh, for Christmas, Missy's stepmother brought the whole family to Disney. All of us, brothers, sisters, kids, grandkids, everybody, and we had a blast. Uh, if you've not been, the Star Wars area is worth the trip. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. It, it's not a sermon about Disney World. But when we got off the plane and we got on the bus that would take us to Disney, as we got closer, we began to see signs. Turn this way for Disney, Magic Kingdom that way. And then we finally saw it. It's that arched sign that says, Welcome to Disney, Magic Kingdom. And you're, we're right there. You're exactly there. We'd finally arrived. So what if the bus stopped? Said, here you go, folks. Happiest place on earth. Magic Kingdom, here at this sign, you finally arrived to the Magic Kingdom. How silly would that be? Because the sign just points the way inside to the awesomeness. The sign just points the way into the magic kingdom. The kingdom isn't the same thing as the sign. Instead, you just follow the signs to get to that amazing Star Wars experience. The kingdom comes through following the signs. 
That's exactly what God did in circumcision. Circumcision, and in fact, the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament was a signpost to lead God's people to Jesus, to the Messiah, the one who saves through the shedding of his blood on the cross and giving us his righteousness as a gift received by faith in answer to God's promise. It was God's promise, God's covenant that says, through the shedding of my son's blood, my people will be saved. The point of circumcision wasn't a badge of honor. See, look at all that I've done. Look how faithful I'm being to all these religious duties and and rituals that makes me right in God's eyes in some way. The point was rather to look through the signs to the faithfulness of God who promised freedom from sin because Jesus gave his life on the cross. That was the point. The same is true for you and for me, friends. We have freedom because we are people of a promise. We have been justified. We'll study this word in just a couple of weeks. We're justified, declared righteous in God's sight because Jesus gave his life for us. His perfect record of obedience and keeping all the law is given to you and me as a gift received through faith. And all of our sin, all of our disobedience is nailed to the cross in Jesus' body and he was raised from the dead in victory over it all. See, our faith, our hope, is not in all the things that I've done for God. My hope is not in my righteousness, but it's in trusting the promise of what Jesus has done for me. That's where freedom comes from. We can stop trying to be good enough for God, for good enough for God's favor, because Jesus has proclaimed, I was good enough in your place. And now live for me, not trying to earn my favor, but because you belong to me and you're precious in my sight. Our sin was nailed to the cross and Jesus' righteousness was given to you and me. And that's our hope. Not in performing religious deeds. We are not a people of performance. We are a people of the promise. Now, I would dare guess that very few of us in this room would be worried about circumcision today. But I think we can still relate. When... Where do you sink the roots of your sense of significance and value and belonging? Where do, you, where do you sink those roots in your life? What do you look to to give you a sense of, of belonging, a sense of righteousness, a sense of being acceptable? Whatever that is, whenever you put your sense of meaning and righteousness and significance and value on how well you've performed or whatever your vocation might be, or your role in the community, or on your leadership abilities, or on what other people think of you. Whenever you try to use some other sort of righteousness, some other sort of value or significance that makes you acceptable in other people's eyes and in God's eyes, you have been given over to slavery every time. Rather than receiving value and dignity as new creations in Christ, as a gift of his grace, Whenever we try to build it on our performance in some sense, we create an identity apart from God based on our achieving and accomplishing, and it's all slavery. And I think all of us know what that feels like. All of us are looking for righteousness somewhere. Try to build an identity on work, maybe. Maybe you're the kind of person that wants to build your identity on your reputation. I'm the kind of person that gets stuff done. I work hard. I get stuff done around here. But what happens 
when all your effort, you've given it all and it's still not enough. When you've done all that you can do and you've not, not done enough, what happens in our lives often is we either, we either double down on our work. We give more to our work and we neglect our family. We neglect our friends. We neglect becoming, being with the people of God. We neglect all these things and make work into our God because being a person who works hard has become my sense of righteousness and value and significance in the world. And friends, it is slavery. You cannot work hard enough to give your sense a sense of, of belonging and value and dignity. Christ brings freedom, freedom from acting competent. It's his competence, his excellence, his righteousness that defines us, not your lack of it. Lots of other ways that we lean into things to produce a sense of righteousness and acceptability. Sometimes we people in church try to have church righteousness. You know what I mean? I'm here every time the door opens. I participate in all the Bible studies. I do all the things. I do all the, all the things I participate in and maybe God smiles on me a little bit more. Maybe I'm better in his sight because I've done all these things. No. We are received in his sight as righteous through the work of Jesus. You can never perform yourself into relationship with a holy God. It's not possible. Maybe it's not work. Maybe it's not church behavior for you. Maybe... Uh, maybe it's politics for you. I support the right policies and I oppose the wrong policies. I have politics righteousness. Makes me right, makes me acceptable, makes me valuable. It doesn't work. Maybe it's not any of those. Maybe for you it might be pandemic righteousness. I wore the masks. I didn't wear the masks. I got my vaccine. I didn't get my vaccine. And we build a sense of, relation, of, of acceptability and pride and belonging on pandemic righteousness, and it won't work. It's as confusing for me as it is for anybody else. We can't build righteousness on our performance. Maybe it's not on any of those things. Maybe parents, you've built a sense of parenting righteousness. Look how my kids turned out. (laughs) My kids are great. They're so much better than John's down the street. It's parenting righteousness. It never makes us acceptable in God's eyes. It never makes us acceptable in anybody else's eyes either. It's all slavery. If there's anything other than the finished work of the Lord Jesus giving you a sense of who you are, you have given yourself over to slavery, friends. Turn back to Jesus. The gospel forms us into a people of freedom whose lives rest on God's faithfulness to his promise. God's faithfulness to make us righteous in his sight through what Jesus has done rather than our faltering, failing performance. The gospel forms us in freedom. Secondly, the gospel forms us in unity. Look at verse one of our text. Paul mentions a crew that could have been explosive. (laughs) He arrived in Jerusalem with a spectrum of different kinds of people. You have Paul, who was the the former Pharisee, the Jew of Jews. He was the one who was sent out by the Sanhedrin to persecute Christians. He had a pedigree of being a prideful Jewish man. And next to Paul was Barnabas. Barnabas was also a Jewish Christian of deep reputation. He was one of the founders of the church in Jerusalem. So you had this man, Paul, who had been a persecutor of the church, and yet God saved him and brought together with Barnabas. Had been one of the people Paul was persecuting. 
and Barnabas vouched for Paul's conversion, these two could have been explosive on their own coming into this church in Jerusalem. But then you had Titus. Titus was a Greek. Titus was a Gentile convert. Titus had not been circumcised. What a crew! Why would Paul take this group? To signify that unity comes by the gospel of God's grace. This group was a living sign of the gospel that unity happens by, through, by and through faith in the Lord Jesus. These three weren't united by a common heritage. They weren't united in ethnicity. They weren't united by background. They weren't united by a common culture. The only thing they had in common was that they all belonged to Jesus. And therefore, they belonged to one another. Same thing's true for you and for me, friends. So here comes Paul and Barnabas and Titus, this this crew of unity coming from Antioch. We'll study more about Antioch next week. A church that was mixed with Jews and Gentiles and nobody knew what to do with them. This delegation from Antioch comes to Jerusalem and the apostles, those who seem to be pillars, Paul says in verse nine, rallied around the truth of the gospel. Paul says they added nothing to me. The gospel of grace that Paul proclaims is the same gospel of grace that the apostles in Jerusalem proclaim. We're united in Christ, not in all of these other things. These other leaders went to the Jews and Paul went to the Gentiles to preach that message and the apostles in verse 9 gave him the right hand of fellowship. It's more than a handshake. It was a declaration that they are partners in exactly the same mission, the spread of the gospel to all the nations. They would do ministry, and they would do ministry differently, not in exactly the same way, because their goal was not to produce penguin Christians. Their goal was not to produce a a people where everybody looks exactly alike, everybody dresses alike, everybody embodies the same ethnic uh, uh, traditions. No, they were wanting to form a beautiful diversity of the body of Christ, all united in Jesus. That's what the gospel does. Paul wasn't trying to stir up controversy. He was trying to demonstrate what happens when God's grace brings people together. I wonder this morning, are you willing to walk alongside Paul and the apostles in Galatians chapter 2 and stand shoulder to shoulder with other Christians who may not look like us, may not dress like us, may not worship in exactly the same way that we do, may have different cultural preferences and traditions, but they are like us in that they belong to Christ, that we're tuned to the same fork of Jesus. Are we willing to do that? I think what an incredible testimony to the world that would be that there could be a unity of all different kinds of people around the work of the Lord Jesus Christ because being unified is a big topic in our world right now. What are things that we unify around? Well, one thing that's common is the flag. Now, before I get emails this week, patriotism is a good thing. It's a God-honoring value to love the country in which God has set you and and work for its good and long for its blessing of God. Patriotism is good. But I hope that you realize that the people of God are a multinational family. We are a multinational family and your deepest commitment, your deepest allegiances, your deepest devotion 
as a Christian is to Jesus. It's to Jesus over the flag of your particular nation. We rally around the Lord Jesus. We're gathered to a worldwide family of God. That's our primary identity is belonging to Christ. Sometimes people in our culture unite around a common enemy. But you know, shared outrage never truly unites because it it blows up fast. Whenever you have people trying to be brought together by their boiling anger, it's not too long before they begin to turn it on one another. We don't have unity in a shared enemy of anger. There's not even unity built around a common politics. It's never truly safe position because the values and the commitments of the kingdom of God transcend every political party. There is no political party that is the kingdom of God party. I realize that might step on some toes, but that's the biblical truth. Think about the 12 that Jesus chose. You had a tax collector, Matthew, who by definition was a collaborator, a political collaborator with Rome and wanted Rome's power to ascend over his own people, over the Jews. And you also had Simon, who was a zealot. And Simon's political commitments were for the violent overthrow of all of Rome's authority and power. You had one working for Rome, one politically committed to violence against Rome in the same group of 12, in the same small group. And they were united. Not around a common political affiliation. They were united around Jesus. And Jesus used that group to bring change to the whole world. We are united in Christ. No matter our other differences, we can be brought together in Jesus. That's what has the power to bring different kinds of people together. It's the gospel of Jesus. It says all kinds of sinners can be saved and set in the same family through the bloody cross and the empty tomb and the occupied throne. That's what unites us as God's people. I wonder if God's calling you to take a step a step closer to someone that you are very much unlike, even in a significant way. And he's calling you to step closer, close as family, close as blood family, because God has made you blood family through the blood of Christ. Is he calling you to step closer to someone in your life right now? There's one more unity in the church that's found in verse 10, and it is a unity around sacrifice. One behavior that Paul and the Jerusalem apostles entirely agreed to to put into practice was a love for neighbor as self. He says, only we ask you to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. It's a common ethic of the people of God. Sacrifice what I have to remember someone who has less. It's a common practice, a common ethic. The core heart of a Christian-formed community is a people willing to be sacrificial in order to love and to serve. We're called into that kind of discipleship, that kind of holiness that's marked not so much primarily by public displays of purity, but instead marked by a spirit-ignited passion, a spirit-ignited willingness to sacrifice for the sake of others, to put myself at a disadvantage in order to bless another person. It's the heart of a living community of Christ because that's exactly the kind of life Jesus lived for you and for me. 
sacrifice that costs something. For Jesus, it was a sacrifice that cost everything. What would you think would happen if the world saw the body of Christ, Christians, right now, out of love for others, being willing to sacrifice, being willing to put myself second, or as Kennecott Camp says, put myself third, (laughs) behind others, willing to give something up, willing to serve, willing to love, willing to step forward so that another person receives a blessing. There are so many ways that that can apply. So many ways it challenges how we live our lives right now to live lives of sacrifice rather than lives of shoring up my own benefit and commitments and pleasures. Where might the Lord be calling you into sacrifice for the sake of someone else? Freedom and unity. Freedom in Christ, unity in Christ, unity around Christ. That's what the gospel forms us to be. That's the tuning fork of the Christian church. Let me close with this. One of my closest friends is a close friend of probably the top scholar of Paul in the whole world. This is a guy who could go into, he's a genuine, committed, evangelical believer. And he could go to, into any believing church anywhere, uh, anywhere at least in the Western Hemisphere, and have an immediate platform for his teaching and his ministry anywhere. But this guy's chosen to worship and make his, his church family a tiny little village church in his, in his town nobody's ever heard of. An out-of-the-way place. You wouldn't know it if I told you the name. You wouldn't know the name of the church. You wouldn't even know the name of the community. My friend asked him, why did you decide to go there? There are so many other places that you could, that you could have a platform for your ministry. You could, you could have uh, so much done in the name of Jesus if you were in a larger congregation. And this man's response was, where else could I go as a professional Christian like me? Sits side by side with a homeless person and feasts on the body and blood of Christ week after week after week after week after week. But not because of my reputation, not because of my scholarship, not even because of his need, but because we come together to feast on the risen Jesus That's what the church is. Freedom and unity bound together in the gospel, bearing one another's burdens in the gospel. Is there anywhere else in the world where that's not only a possibility, but it's expected because that's how we've been formed to be. That's what Jesus does. He brings freedom from pretension and sets us in a new family that we might live like him. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would enable us as your children to truly embrace that freedom and that unity that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that we and Central Church would be so enamored with Jesus that some of these secondary and tertiary ways in which we are divided don't become so important to us anymore because we are so tuned to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, give us that unity. Give us a sense of freedom where we turn aside from trying to perform our way into your good graces and instead, Lord, receive the righteousness that has been given to us through Jesus. Receive it through faith alone, in Christ alone, because of your work by grace alone. Lord, do that work in us. Shape us and form us as a congregation that shows to the watching world a Jesus who's alive 
and can make people like us into family, blood family of the Lord Jesus. We pray it all in his name. Amen.